Good morning. And we are here once again to study in the letter to the assembly in Corinth. And, um, you know, like all of the Bible, there isn't any filler material. Um, so uh, I've read a lot of things, especially uh, my reading in um, writings of folks about certain topics, uh, scriptural topics and that sort of thing. There's there's just a lot of filler in the way we write things. Uh, but not, not so the scripture. Uh, I know that some might disagree when they read these uh, genealogies and all. But nonetheless, they'd be wrong about that too. Um, when you really look into it, like everything else. But filler material we don't have. What we have is is what I said on the the sheet up there, what Brother Greg put up there for our lesson. Um, part 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 11 through 16, which completes the chapter. I think this passage is the definitive work, if you will on the teaching of the spirit of, if you know what I mean, the spirit of. We have a sheet around here that Brother David put together some years ago about the spirit of, and there's so many spirit ofs, um, not only in the scripture, but people use the terminology in everyday life. Uh, and they're more right than they know in a lot of ways. <clears throat> The spirit of God, the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of man, when we put them into a pot and stir them up and we don't know who we're talking about, we have no idea what's going on. But the scripture doesn't do that to us. That's what we do to ourselves. Um, what is taught here in this chapter, in these few verses, by the Apostle Paul, does not really resemble the so-called normal or um, what would be a, maybe a better word, um, foundational, let, let's say, although it's not foundational, um, the normal attitude that we hear expounded today in Christendom concerning the idea of spirit. But what the apostle teaches here and teaches in a way of matter-of-factly as though we should understand these things because this had been taught before by him. This was the apostolic view on these things. This is what was taught to the folks. We need to have this attitude the same as he did. We need to have this understanding as he did. And the many varied views concerning uh, the spirit as it's known as, as it is used in our Bibles, is the source of much confusion and disagreement amongst church folks. You ever heard anybody disagree on what something like this meant? <laughs> what it really is speaking about? Or who it is, who is the, uh, the spirit of who? Or what it might mean? Well, We'd never get done talking about this, really, in, in 
just our own experiences, I suppose. That's why I like this passage, because it it clears things up so well. You know, there can only be one truth. This is either true or it's not. If it's true, then this is what we should understand concerning the Spirit. If the Word of God is carefully and honestly taught and practiced, then the problem we have with understanding, usually, would cease. Now, we have lesser and better abilities to understand things the first time we see them or hear them. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the, the careful and honest portrayal of Scripture. But I would warn you, don't hold your breath until this is going to happen. You're going to have to create this little world for yourself. Because this is a task that is daunting. Also, in this passage, uh, we have a, uh, I think we show a clear distinction. Now, when I say distinction, I don't mean people on a higher level than other people. I mean a clear distinction. In other words, the role people play, their, their responsibilities and things of that sort. That's what I'm talking about, a clear distinction within the brotherhood. We're going to see that clear distinction between the brethren of the assemblies, that's the church folk, to put it in simple terms, and the Lord's apostles. In regards to especially this phrase at the end of our passage today, the mind of Christ. But it's all through these these verses as far as the pronouns go. What did the apostles have to do with what we understand of Christ? What did God set them apart to do? What did the Lord call them to do? If you read Acts chapter 1, you get a pretty good idea, or or the Gospels in general. Acts chapter 2, on it goes. And yet, you know, the apostolic character of the church and the role of the apostles and all, in my experience, has been minimized to a point of almost disappearing. And that's unfortunate because that means we're ignoring the scriptures. Think about the fact that when the Lord was crucified and rose again and ascended and the apostles were sent out, what did people do concerning what had just all happened? There wasn't, we didn't find a New Testament laying around where you could get caught up. Nobody knew, except those few in Palestine. The apostles went out and delivered that message. I know the message is bigger than the apostles. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying is we have to remember where all of this came from. And from if we go in that way, we're going to find ourselves all the way back in Genesis to the first verse, of course. We're going to find the declaration of God concerning all that we we know and why these things have happened. 
So the mind of Christ was given to the apostles, was granted to them to have this ability to complete their task of establishing the Lord's church on earth. This is the work in order for the kingdom as set and directed from heaven. Not from here, not from Jerusalem, not from Antioch or Rome or anywhere else, but from heaven. That's the, that's the kingdom. The direction came from there through the apostles and for this passage is going to tell us that it's through the Spirit the apostles came to this understanding. Now, don't put a suit of clothes on that word spirit because you need to understand all the ramifications of it here. We can't go beyond what is written. And if we don't, we'll not be misled or taken down another road on this idea. And the other thing is, you know, I've spoke here lately about, in, in Peter, also the teaching, the mystery of God, the things that, the secrets of God and all that there were before the foundation of the church, before the apostles started preaching and revealing the secrets of God. But as far as this idea goes, this understanding from the apostles and from heaven, none of this has ever been a secret in the church age. None of this has ever been a secret. It was never done in secret. But I'll admit it's still very remarkable. It's a very remarkable occurrence within the apostolic age, if you will. It's far removed from us in time, days, years, and months. But it's not removed from us in practice and in doctrine. It's as vital today, every word, now as it ever was and always will be as long as the earth endures, as long as these things continue. And I think that's, that, that's the point. Now, the, the body of this, this text, um, I'm going to start with verse 11 again, because as I've said on the little outline up there, through the Spirit, we truly know. We truly know. All, everyone truly knows. It's from God's spirit. You know, the idea of spirit, you know what the word means in Greek, of course. It has the idea of, of motion, of breath. I think it's 2 Timothy 3.16 where it talks about the breath of God. Uh, that's, the, that's the actual word for spirit in Greek is the pneuma, breath, the movement, God's breath is the spirit and it's through that which of course gives us the whole concept of god god breathing his will upon mankind and i think that's that's pretty good although it's not a, maybe tangible in our understanding it's not like you see the uh, like jesus asked nicodemus when you see the wind blow and the leaves move on the tree Where'd it come from? You see, Jesus could have made very 
Nicodemus very aware of the fact that he knew nothing about any of these things in reality. But that wasn't the goal. The goal was to teach him something that he could grab hold of. Breath. We have to understand what the Spirit is. Now, verse 11 and 12, reading from the Young's, as I said before, this verse 11 is in reference to a passage in Isaiah, uh, chapter 40, verses 13 and 14. Um, the, the idea, the concept of this verse. For who of men hath known the things of man, of the man, except the spirit of the man that is in him? Now that's a question that you need to ask yourself. What's the answer? So also the things of God no one hath known except the Spirit of God. You believe that? I've heard a lot of folks tell me that what God told them and what it all means, but how is it they arrived at it again? And we the spirit of the world did not receive. But the spirit that is of God, that we may know the things conferred by God upon or on us. Let me read verse 12 again. And we, the spirit of the world, did not receive. But the spirit that is of God, that we may know the things conferred by God on us. That's the Young's literal translation. Now, who are the, the usins, or the weans and the usins here, as David likes to call it? Well, you know, that's kind of a stumbling block there, isn't it? <laughs> because if somehow... Everyone is the we and the us there, then we have kind of a little bit of a problem here. I think we're just going to have to rely on the original language and the grammar properly used to come to the understanding that the usins and the weans here in this verse, what's being spoke of in verse 12, is the apostles of Christ. Aren't they the ones that spoke and revealed the mysteries of God from heaven to the church? I believe they, they did in many other places. Matter of fact, let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 through 22. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. Then, as the apostle writes, therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens of the saints and of the household of God, being built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being chief cornerstone, in whom all the buildings fitly framed together doth increase to a holy sanctuary in the Lord, in whom also you are built up together for a habitation of God in the spirit. You know, there's so much truth in those few words that it's incredible 
uh, past, present, and future. It's all in there. I don't think it's too far of a stretch for us to give credit to the apostles of being the we's and the us's here uh, because of the fact that they're part of the foundation of what we call the faith. The apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the cornerstone, being, of course, the cornerstone not only is the anchor, the biggest stone in the building, but it also sets the directions of the building and everything else about the building. Is not that Jesus himself, the head of the church? Yes, it is. The apostles and prophets spoke from the Spirit of the Lord, from heaven, and they spoke to the brethren in way of instruction, doctrine. You know, that isn't... People agree with that on a general sense, but I think the gravity of it should be a little bit more uh, part of what, what we are and how we communicate with people concerning the faith. And brethren, I, I think we should, we should rejoice and say amen knowing that the apostles of Christ and their doctrine, the things that they said, wrote, and taught in every place for the church was given through the very will and the spirit and the breath of God from heaven. You want assurance in this life, assurance, real a faith-building assurance. Know that the source of your religion, if you will, in Christianity, your faith in Christianity actually comes from heaven instead of a conclave of learned souls over here putting together something that they call whatever. And whenever I say that, I, I never forget the, the conversation I had with another man in between, between uh, a Lutheran minister and myself, because I told him, I told the other man, and the man in the middle, the poor guy that was getting beat up, uh, that Luther wrote that he never wanted his folks to name the church after him. And, I, and I, the, my response back to that is, that's completely wrong. He never said that. Well, I can't believe that they don't, haven't read every word that Luther wrote. I've read a lot of it, a lot of good stuff. He just didn't live long enough to get it all straightened out. But he did say that. By the way, he also understood baptism to be by immersion. And a number of other things uh, that he tried to restore back to, the, to Catholicism, actually. But he didn't live long enough to do it, but he did a pretty good job. So, through the Spirit of God, these things were revealed by the apostles and, of course, those that the apostles sent out speaking. You know, when the apostles sent men out to preach, they didn't send them out and say, 
preach what you said, what you will. Go look at Second Timothy, I think it's chapter two, verse two. They sent them out to preach exactly what the apostles had said. Exactly. My words. My words is what Paul told Timothy in Second Timothy. That was the message. As the apostles refer to the gospel as my gospel. Why? Because that's who they were. They were there to represent Christ and his gospel. How did they do it as men? Through the Spirit of God, the breath of God. These things of God, as according to the Scripture, was conferred upon the apostles of Christ in the first century. And, of course, the, the prophets that spoke during that period, too, spoke on behalf of heaven, if you will. They didn't have all the remedy, all the situations that we have. You see, what we have recorded in our New Testament and the Bible itself is the words of God, the oracles of God. So we don't need prophetic utterances from heaven and words of wisdom and other things that were present in the first century church. Now, that's another whole study, of course. Those things are real. But when they're not necessary any longer amongst the brethren, then they wouldn't be necessary. As I believe it's 1 Corinthians 13, the study of that chapter would bring you to that understanding. So the wishes of heaven was known unto the brethren through the Spirit of God as given to the apostles for the well-being of the, of the brethren, of the church, of the assembly. And as true as it was the very days that the apostles were doing this, it's still true exactly the same way today. But if we, the church, have forgotten about where the message came from, we're going to have a little trouble implementing it into our own lives. I think all of us understand that when we're really proficient at something, we do so because we know, we know the history of what it is we're, we're doing. Whatever discipline it might be, we, we, we know the history. We know the source of, of things. We know the source of the good ideas. We know the source of the, all that makes what we're doing a reality. So it is with, the, with being a Christian. We need that background. That's why we have Bible studies continuously amongst the brethren. We study, we study together, and we study to know God's will. What did the Apostle Paul say to, to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1? 2 Timothy chapter 1, look at verse 7. I really love this passage. Paul's writing to Timothy, one of his good workers, evangelists, for God gave us not a spirit of fearfulness, but of power and love and discipline. Be not ashamed, therefore, of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but suffer hardship with the gospel, according to the power of God, who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, 
but according to his own to but according to his own purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before times eternal but hath now been manifested by the appearing of our savior Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel is that how you understand the gospel you should Verse 11, wherefore, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, from which cause I suffer also these things, yet I am not ashamed, for I know him whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to guard that which I have committed unto him against that day. I'm going to look at verse 13 too. I almost didn't read it, but... Hold the pattern of sound words which thou hast heard from me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. If the church would just do that, how much information can we stand? It's almost an overload there. And all of it from heaven. All of God's truth and discernment comes from the Spirit, conferred by God upon the apostles and prophets in what they said, what they wrote. As it says in the, in the epistles, Paul says, whatever I have spoken or write to you bears the same weight, weightiness as being from the Lord himself. Paraphrasing. Thus we today must always maintain and conform to the same pattern and the faith once delivered to the saints. As it says in Jude 3, we all know that verse. I contend, you know, to the brethren. Never depart or never forget the, the faith once delivered to the saints. It was once delivered, and because of that, to alter or amend anything that was first delivered through the apostles is to reject the very will of the Lord for his family, for the body. And you know, I'm being kind with these words of mine because I, I don't want to pronounce any sort of judgment, but think about this. When we allow any one to alter the things given by God. How does that portend to the Son of God and what he went through to purchase everything that we have and was delivered from heaven through the apostles to the brethren? Friends, we don't change anything. We spend our lives studying and holding to what the Scripture is teaching. That's our best work. We do that because we say we love Jesus. As Jesus said to his apostles, if you love me, you will do as I command. If we love him, we will do as he commands. If, you know, Jesus told the apostles to go out and be evangelistic 
bring them into the body, and then teach them everything I have taught you. We always forget about the last part of that. People want to do the first part. That's the fire insurance paid up. Good to go. How about the rest? That's, that's how we live. We live our lives in that second phase there. The last thing here. Um, well, let's read verses 13 through 15, and then we'll get to verse 16. Which things also we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught in spirit. That's the way the Greek reads it. With spiritual things, spiritually things comparing. And the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. For to him they are foolishness, and he is not able to know them, because spiritually they are discerned. And he who is spiritual doth discern indeed all things, and he himself is by no one discerned. Well, that fits with what we read in the last part of verse 12, the last 12b, if you will. Speaking of the apostles, that we may know the things conferred by God on us. That's how all of this comes in. Not of things taught by human wisdom, but taught in spirit. And spiritual things, we compare with spiritual things. Uh, not of, uh, of other things. It falls in the idea, you know, people are wonderful at comparing one thing to another, especially themselves to someone else which is completely out of order. <clears throat> I mean, it works for some, some reasons, you know. If you're short and you can't reach the top of the cabinet, you can say, well, why don't you ask him to do it? He's taller. That's fine. That's a good comparison. But it has nothing to do with what this verse is saying. We're getting close to being out of time. So I want to deal with this last, last verse, finally. The mind of the Lord, who can know it? Um, and what does the apostle continue to say? Remember, all this is one thought. Uh, it, it's, one, it's one sentence, really. And it says in verse 16, For who did know the mind of the Lord, that he shall instruct him? Now, that's a question, and I think there's, I've heard a number of people pretty much answer that question. But I, that's just completely foolishness. That's what all this is about. Mind of the Lord, who has it? Then he goes on to say, and we, we have the mind of Christ. That is written that way by Young because he's trying to impress upon us the gravity of that statement. Do we want to rely on the apostles for our doctrine in, for the church? I believe we can from verse 16 and, and the preceding verses. 
We have the New Testament today. It's replete with the apostolic uh, doctrine, the message, a lot of history within the, the Gospels and all. And that causes us to want to study, study, and study the Old Testament and wh- how all these things came to be. Never want to forget, though, because the New Testament is kind of the end of the letter. It's the end of the writing. The apostles are teaching and preaching Christ. It all comes to conclusion in Revelation, written basically to the Jews, because it was in their time frame as far as a lot of those things occurring in there. And also the end of all of the, what it was Judaism and, and the church full grown, moving forward in the kingdom. So we know, friends, within this verse, the we here is referring to the Lord's apostles. It's first person plural, the pronoun is. The grammar won't allow us to, um, to use this text on any head of any certain religion, denomination, or otherwise. The apostles are gone, friends, and what we have left is the word of God. But we're, we're good to go with that. We, we really are. I'm not sure why this is not common knowledge amongst the people in our Christian assemblies, but it is not. It should be. And it takes, it takes some careful study, I guess, but just to sit and read it and see what it says, your first question is, who is the we? And you need to get that answer before you move on because if you, if you get that wrong, you might have some issues. I'll share with you just a couple of, um, I don't know if they're on or outlined or not, um, Luke 24 and John 14 and Matthew 10. Um, since we're out of time, I'm going to look at... Um, yeah, let's look at Luke uh, 24, 41. This is after Jesus has uh, resurrection. Uh, and while they were not... And while they are not believing from the joy and wondering, he said to them, Have ye anything here to eat? And they gave to him part of a broiled fish and of honeycomb. And having taken, he did eat before them. And he said to them, These are the words that I spake unto you, being yet with you, that it behoove to be fulfilled all things that are written in the law of Moses, and the prophets, and the psalm about me. Then opened he their understanding to understand the writings. That would be the scriptures, wouldn't it? The Old Testament. And he said to them, Thus it hath been written, and thus it it would behoove the Christ to suffer and rise out of the dead the third day. And on and on it goes in that text. Who is he speaking to? I got three passages here. He's speaking to the apostles and to the apostles alone. Why? Because they were the ones chosen. They were the ones sent. They were the ones through the breath of God, the Spirit, into their spirit, spoke these great truths. Uh, let's go to Matthew 10. Matthew 10, verse 
verse 16. We have another one in the middle from John 14, but uh, it's more familiar. Matthew 10, 16, and 20. Lo, I do send you forth as sheep in the midst of the wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and simple as the doves. And take ye heed of men, for they will give you up to the Sanhedrins, and in their synagogues they will scourge you. And before governors and kings you shall be brought for my sake, for a testimony to them and to the nations. Wherever they may deliver you up, be not anxious how or what you may speak, for it shall be given to you in that hour what you shall speak. For you are not the speakers, but the spirit of your Father that is speaking in you. And that's not the only place that we find this idea. You see, that's not us, isn't it? That's not who we are. Because the Apostle Peter, in his writings, tells the brethren to always be prepared to give evidence and a reason why your faith is what it is. Why are you a Christian? Why do you believe in Jesus the Christ? Or are we just going to wait? You can try this if you'd like. Wait for the words to come to us. Wait for God to open your mouth so you can speak. Now the word, you know, the words come. But you know why the words come? They, they come because you've already read them. They come because you've read them and you know they're there. And I learned this many, many years ago when I was like the number two guy. <laughs> when we go out calling on people and someone was doing most of the speaking. But whatever they were speaking about, as I was sitting there, and you know, I'm not a person that has a lot of scriptures memorized. But when they were speaking, and it, it came to where some, we really need to read the scripture to confirm what the, the leader of the lesson was saying. There it was. I read it from the Bible. It happened over and over again. I said, this is not me. This is my understanding. This is, I remembered, and it was time to remember. Because <clears throat> now I remember things in there, and I can't find it at all. I got to go to Strong's and get the word, and I thought, oh, no, it's in King James. And, you know, you see what I mean? I believe that the apostles and their doctrine, and the words they write and spoke is the foundation to the faith through Jesus Christ and because of Jesus Christ. And that is the will of God. And I think the apostle here is making certain to his reader that this is it. Have confidence in the apostles of Christ because they're not going to lead you astray, and they have what you need to maintain yourselves in this world. I believe that, um, and I hope you do too. So those are my words today. I'm sorry I went over just a few minutes, but um, I want to finish this thinking so we can move on. This is a good foundation here. This is a great foundation.